Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. If you turn your Bibles to Revelation 17, <clears throat> and then if you have sermon notes there with you, if you'd open those sermon notes, we have some things we want to talk about this morning. Obviously, I didn't finish last week, so we are going to do a little more work on that. And once again, I, I'd like to finish the outline, but if I don't, I'm not going to worry about that either, because I know that as long as God is with us, we have some good things to learn, and God wants to teach us those good things. <clears throat> Obviously, chapter 17, it says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. That angel is now going to take John, he says, in the spirit, and he's going to take out into the wilderness. Out in the wilderness, he's going to see a sight that he's going to marvel at. Uh, it's going to be something that's an amazing thing to be seen. So uh, he calls it uh, Mystery Babylon the Great, the great harlot. Uh, he calls her the mother of all harlotries and abominations in the earth. So that's who we're looking at. This is a significant character and has been since shortly after the flood. This significant character has been seen in several different locations, and I'm, I'm going to share with you now because it says in the Scriptures that she sits on many waters. She's very active right now, and we should have known that because we're getting closer to the last days, and it's the last days where her judgment is. If she's not active, there's no reason to judge her. But she is active, kids. She is the one who's creating all these, the, the ruckus and the stir that's going right here. In the Scriptures, Babylon is given as a woman. She's revealed as a woman in the Scripture. Obviously, here a woman is what's in view. She's the counterpart to the woman with whom we are to be in a covenant relationship to honor God. That woman is known as wisdom, and she's the living concept of Torah and Logos. Now, let me see if I can tell you what we just said, all right, because it was a mouthful. There are two women listed in the Proverbs. One of those women is called wisdom, and wisdom is the one who was back with us at the beginning. Back when we were all created, wisdom was there with us. Wisdom was to be imparted to us as we trusted God, as we listened to his word, as we believed the word, wisdom would be real to us. Wisdom was a construct. It's a concept. And wisdom has the power of God. Wisdom has the truth of God. And she is in the beginning there, and we were to have a covenant relationship with her. We were to get fellowship from her. We were to get fruitfulness from her. We were to gain all the things of unity, all the things of reality and truth. That's what was. This is what we were made to be. That's the one we were made to have a covenant relationship with. Everybody follow that? But there's going to be another woman that arises, and it arises because of sin, and that woman's going to be called in the Proverbs the adulterous woman, the immoral woman, the strange woman, the foreign woman. She's got several different names. But she's always about the business of seducing young men, seducing people away from the walk with God, away from wisdom, and into what's considered to be a more fun way, a more exciting way. She is a liar. She is a thief. And as the scriptures say, her pathway leads to death. 
whereas wisdom's pathway always leads to life. Consequently, those who know the fear of the Lord come into wisdom because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So with wisdom, that's how this whole thing begins. When I understand I'm accountable to God for everything I say, do, or think, and I know that he's going to hold me accountable for it, then I'm understanding the fear of the Lord. And when I understand the fear of the Lord, wisdom comes to be a part of me. But when I'm foolish and I despise instruction, I don't want anything to do with instruction, and I don't want to follow God, then that's when the immoral woman comes into me. And now I've broken my covenant relationship with wisdom, and I'm into this broken relationship, this immoral relationship with Babylon. Everybody with me on this? If, if you are, go like this. If you're not, go, oh, I know what you're talking about, okay? This is, this is important again because as we build on this, you're going to see why Babylon is so very much alive with us here today and how she operates. She's very slick, a very uh, uh, attractive seductress, all right? So let's go on. <clears throat> Wisdom is realized when you fall in love with Torah, and the other word is logos. Jesus is said to be the logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the Logos. And that Logos is the wisdom. Jesus was to be our covenant relationship then. Everybody follow that? That's where we were supposed to be. We're all supposed to be in a covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are those who break that covenant relationship and enter into a covenant relationship with the the harlot. They enter it with Babylon, if you would. So, Wisdom is the living concept. When you, when you see wisdom personified, it's because someone is believing Torah. It's because someone is believing Logos. They're believing the Word of God. Everybody with me on that? That's when you've entered into that covenant relationship with wisdom. Letter B in your outline. Babylon is the perversion of the proper relationship to God. She is an immoral concept. I'm not even going to call it this a construct, okay? She is a moral concept providing an immoral relationship for the person who's deceived by her. She is opposed to God and his law. Like wisdom, she is spiritual. She is a spiritual construct. Uh, you say, what is a construct? Well, that's something that's formed from evidence seen and in its work. We have a word that we call wind. What is wind? You can't hold wind. You can't grab wind, yet you can see the effects of wind, right? Babylon's much the same way. You can't see her. You can't. She's present with us even now. She's present with us waiting for an opportunity, and she is a construct. It's a name we give to something that's formed that you don't have empirical evidence for. You simply see its effects. So it's, and it's like wind. We have the concept old man. The scriptures tell us there's an old man living in us. When have you ever seen the old man? You haven't. It's a construct. It's a name we give for a manner of life that we live. It's a, way, it's a name we give to something that's inside us. It's a construct. It's something inside us that causes us to want to follow our own way instead of follow God. What's the new man when the new man's created in us? That new man is when you're walking in the spirit, when you've set aside the flesh and you're going to walk in the new man. You're not going to see him, but you are going to see the evidence of it. Everybody with me on that? So Babylon is not somebody you're going to see until enough people are with her, enough people are following her that they build shrines to her. Matter of fact, 
you can tell. I, I was reading an article the other day. What a fascinating article. It was talking about Israel. It was talking about in Jerusalem, the way you knew that Jerusalem was, or that the Israel was on, on board with its God was the temple. The temple was the biggest thing that showed up in, in Jerusalem. And the temple became that, that major thing that everybody looked at and said, this place is ruled by that God. This place is governed by that God. This is what's important to these people. And it said, look around the United States, what's important to us? Where do we have any kind of buildings, any kind of edifices that people flock to that shows what we really worship? Sports arenas, theaters, entertainment places. What does that say about a people? What are the people's gods? Look at their edifices and you'll tell. Look at their buildings. Look at their establishments and you'll see that's who their gods are. Babylon shows up as a kingdom. Babylon shows up as a city because enough people have followed that way of life that they create a city. They create a kingdom. They're creating it, and the more that she's together with them, the more people who are following what the lusts of the flesh are, the more people are doing that, the stronger that kingdom is against Almighty God. She's opposed to God and his law, like wisdom. She's spiritual. She's a spiritual construct. Babylon is the mother of every perversion of breaking the original covenant relationship with God and reflected in its actions. She is the products of the lusts of the darkened imagination, the unregenerate mind. Al, you didn't know what you were saying this morning about the sermon because we don't ever talk to sermons, but you said this morning, well, it's worldliness, and you started saying it's this and it's that. Listen, that's Babylon operating fund. That's how she operates. It's through worldliness. She draws people into her seduction by saying, look at that. Wouldn't you like to have one of those? Look at her. Wouldn't you like to have her? Look at him. Isn't he something? Woo! That's how she works. Wouldn't you like to be known as... That's how she works, kids. And all it takes is a group of people who are willing to follow her. And the more of those people who are following her, the more depraved that society will be. And the more they will create things to worship her with. Is everybody following where I'm going with this? That's Babylon. So when it talks about Babylon being destroyed, that's when Babylon gets realized. That's when people have lived enough apart from Almighty God that they've built some edifices for her. Now you see it. Now you can see Babylon. That's all going to be destroyed. Uh, we'll get to that at, at yet another time. She's the product of the, the lust of the darkened imagination, the unregenerate mind. She is visible when the imagination creates what it sees. What's your fantasy? What do you believe in? What do you want to have? And Babylon is the one that you create to match your fantasies, to match your, the things that you really lust for, and you build it from that. She is visible when the imagination creates what it sees, the place where every lust is seen. This is idolatry personified. That's idolatry. I used to wonder, why did the Scriptures call covetousness idolatry? In Colossians chapter 3, it says that covetousness is idolatry. And I've wondered why. 
And it's simple. Idolatry is just when you build something that you're going to worship. And when you are coveting something, you're building something you're going to worship. You look for it, you want it, you long for it, and your lusts go after it, and that becomes idolatry. I wanted to just make a comparison here between Babylon and wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is initiated by God through the fear of the Lord. When he can find someone that's humble enough to go into the fear of the Lord and realize you're not your own sovereign, you're not your own God, you're not in charge of what you think you are, and you, in fact, are under somebody else. When you come to that place, then you're ready for the fear of the Lord. When you come to the realization who the Lord is, and now you are submitting yourself to him, you're understood the fear of the Lord, and that's when wisdom begins. It operates through the regenerated human spirit. So that's how it's going to come about. When that human spirit has said, love you, Lord, I fear you, I understand who you are, I have faith in you, now wisdom operates through that regenerate human spirit. It is called in the New Testament, walking in the Spirit, abiding in Christ. It's called being filled with the Spirit. That's all the titles of when you are walking with wisdom. When you are now being filled with wisdom and wisdom is your covenant partner, that's what's showing up with you. It's called walking in the Spirit. She is proper. She is the proper completing partner designed for every human's life. No wonder God wanted to give us the Spirit of God to complete us. No wonder when we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, He said, you've got to have my Spirit. That's the only way you're going to be complete. That's the only way you can ever be one of my children sharing the kingdom with me in that time. You're going to have to be born again. You're going to have to be walking in that Spirit. That's the only way you can know who I am. All right, so he, she walks in that way. This is the this is revelation. When you come to understand the word of God, wisdom becomes a part of you, and now you're in the proper covenant. You are a completed human. You are the way God wanted you to be all the way back there in the beginning. That's why you have to be born again, guys. That's why you can't be that person back there because that person died spiritually. When you trust Jesus Christ, you're coming alive spiritually, and now wisdom becomes a part of your life. No wonder Corinthians would say that Christ has become unto us wisdom and righteousness. He said those things about Christ because that's who Christ is to us. Let me go on further. Wisdom uses the Word of God, living and written, the Spirit of God, as the operating grid. That's the way it works and operates. That's why you've got to walk in the Spirit. You're not going to do this by walking in the flesh and just giving tacit approval or just a little nod to God. That won't work. You cannot walk in wisdom just giving a nod to God. You can't do that. You can't walk in wisdom. You can't understand who wisdom is. As a matter of fact, when you don't understand who wisdom is and you don't walk in wisdom, you don't have any other choice. You will walk in Babylon. You follow where I'm at? It's, it's not like there's two, three, four, five, ten, fifteen choices. There are two. You either walk in the Spirit or you walk in the flesh, period. There are no other choices. So if you're saying, I don't even know what it means to walk in the Spirit, then I know you're walking in the flesh. I know you're walking by sight. I know that you're not walking by the faith of the living God. You're walking by the sight, just going by the seat of your pants, going from one circumstance to another. That's not what life is, kids. We were called on to be a part of wisdom. Do you you understand where our society is going? 
when more and more people walk in the flesh apart from God, you are building an evil empire. She is powered by humility, faith, obedience, and love. When a group of people are humming with wisdom, a Christian community is formed and takes the physical shape to fit its needs so that whenever people are walking in the Spirit, they'll create institutions, they'll create organizations, they'll create things that perpetuate that, that make that operate. Sometimes it's called a church, and sometimes it meets in a building, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it meets in a small group. Sometimes it meets in somebody's home. When this thing got started, it started in somebody's home. It, it, it didn't just start in big edifices someplace. No, that, that wasn't the church. The church is not an edifice. The church is people walking in wisdom. It's people walking in the Spirit. It's people sharing together. And as they do, the Spirit of God is moving them to do the good works that Jesus Christ called them to. They're not having to create good works. They're seeing good works that need to be done. They're seeing needs, and they move to meet those needs. That's when you walk in wisdom. Let me show you how Babylon works, all right? This is how Babylon works. She's initiated through the rejection of instruction and obedience to biblical authority. As soon as you're willing to say, I don't need anybody to teach me. I'm going to live my own life. Man, you just set yourself up for a relationship with Babylon. You can see her just rubbing her hands together. She, you can hear her saying, just like that lady in uh, uh, Proverbs 7 says, I've come looking for you. I've dressed this way. I looked at you and I said, you're the man. You're the one I want. As soon as you were foolish enough to say, I don't need to be instructed. I don't follow instruction. Babylon is your next, next bride. Right. Let me go on further. Babylon operates through carnality in the flesh, Romans chapter 8. That's how Babylon operates. If you're going to walk in the flesh, you're going to walk with a carnal mind, you're going to concern yourself with all the things of this life, and if that's what motivates you, then can I say to you, you're set up for Babylon. You're going to walk in the flesh, kids. If all you're going to do is worry about this world and what happens next and what happens this, listen, the church has existed in tough times. The church has existed in, in uh, persecution. It's not that we're looking for it. It's not that you're going out trying to find it. It finds us. It always finds the people who are walking in the Spirit. And if you're going to try to uh, get that all to make sure it doesn't happen, you're wasting your energy. We were called on to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all the other things would be added to us. But if you're going to keep trying to do God's job, he will not do yours. And you won't be walking in righteousness. You won't be walking in the kingdom. Please stop worrying about this world. Prepare for what you know is happening and walk in the spirit of God. She operates through carnality and flesh. It is called walking in the flesh or being carnal-minded. That's Galatians 5 and Romans chapter 8. She is the covenant-breaking adulterous harlot who violates the created human-divine partnership. She violates what God intended for us to operate in. She will seduce you away from walking in the Spirit. You say, wait a minute, I'm a born-again believer. She can't possibly touch me. Yes, she can. If you want to walk in carnality, friend, yes, she will touch you. 
and she'll let you come to fruitlessness. Remember, kids, we were saved to be fruitful. We were saved to bear fruit, and he wants to work through that. But if we're going to to cease that, if we're going to start following the things of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, if that's going to be our operating agenda, we're in trouble. She uses worldliness of 1 John 2.15 as her operating grid. So if you would, turn your Bibles just for a minute, but just a few, few pages over, 1 John 2. I know you've seen it before. All I want you to do is see how important this concept is to us. 1 John 2, it's 15 to 17. I think we have to read the verse just prior to that. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, they don't have as much of the love of the Father. Is that what yours says? No, it says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There's not a a compromise in there someplace. All right, let me go on further. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. The one who abides in God is the one walking in wisdom, who's had that covenant relationship with wisdom. The one who's walking in the world and in worldliness is the one who's got a covenant relationship with Babylon. All right. Let me go further with you then. It says this, she is powered by lust, rebellion, scoffing, scorn, and sin. Man, when she finds that, she knows she's got a partner. She knows that that, that partner is going to be in fornication with her. She knows that that partner is going to be in a seduction with her. She knows that he'll sell everything he's got. Kids, when Babylon is alive in you, you're almost, you can almost feel like you're not yourself anymore. You'll feel like as you're drawn into that sin that comes, that private little personal sin that you think is yours and yours alone, she's been doing this for thousands of years. She's not fooled or tricked by your um, youthfulness. She's not fooled or tricked by your simplicity. She loves your youthfulness. She loves your simplicity. She wants you to have that simplicity. She wants you to lust. She wants you to crave it. And if she sees you craving, she knows she has a partner, and she knows she's going to win that. Going further. When enough people congregate around their lusts, Babylon as a physical entity is created to house a sinful, depraved community of lusting. They are unchecked rebels. That's Romans chapter 1. That's Romans chapter 1. Okay, so you've got people who are now not acknowledging God in Romans chapter 1, so they don't acknowledge God, they don't know who He is, so they begin to create their own gods. They're not going to follow that God. They are set up for Babylon. And when they follow that, then they start now with the lusts of their flesh because Babylon is always immoral, always immoral. And they set up that, and God takes a step back to let them do that with that. They continue on with that same kind of lusty lifestyle, which is the lifestyle of Babylon. Now, maybe at first, it's just a minority of group of people, but it's a minority that's unchecked. 
We recognize, what kind of nightclubs are they going to? What are they doing in there? What kind of jokes are they telling? What kind of things are showing up on TV? Why are they saying, and maybe it's just a minority at first. But then more and more of the majority begins to accept, oh, it's not so bad when they tell those coarse jokes. It's not so bad when they're not wearing that much clothes. It's not so bad when they joke about this, they joke about that. It's not so bad. And God takes another step back to leave us with that. Babylon is rising. Can you hear it? Babylon is rising. And when God takes that final step back, Babylon is alive and well. Now she looks for opportunities to take blood because she's surrounded by bloodlust. That's what she's about, kids. That's why we have to step in and speak the truth to this society. They're killing themselves and killing all the rest of us at the same time. Another step, all right? Let's go back to your, uh, to your outline. Letter D, Babel, the creation of Nimrod, begat Babylon out of Nimrod's perverted lust. Babylon then seduced him. He thinks he's making an empire. And so he's enjoying the fact that he's making, matter of fact, uh, let's turn back to uh, Genesis 10. Genesis 10. Now, I, I honestly started to take this out of the outline because what you find in uh, Genesis uh, 10 is not very much. And how to build on that was kind of difficult. And I thought, you know, if I can't show it biblically, maybe I just need to take it out. But I decided I am going to show it because this is about uh, a character that Josephus, the historian, talked about. And I want to share with you what Josephus had to say about this, this one, Nimrod. Now, is his name Nimrod? Well, here's, here's something I'm discovering from uh, Hebrew and Akkadian writings. His name may not be Nimrod. That may be a title, much like um, Abimelech. Abimelech means my father is king. That's what that word means. And there are several guys named Abimelech. That, that title was, it just simply meant, my dad is the one who's the king of this place. So Abimelech, all right? Well, this word Nimrod, ni, N-I, may have been the term for, Akkadian term for king. And Merod was the term for rebellion. So he's the king of rebellion, all right? He is probably Sargon the Great, Sargon the Great. So if you look for some place in history to find him, this is more than likely his title that we know him by us. The Akkadian title he was given was Sargon the Great. Now that's anglicized, so it's like Sarukukan or something like that. So I don't say Sarukukan, I say Sargon. It's just easier to say Sargon. All right, so Genesis 10, verse 9. Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. That land of Shinar is Babylon. From that land, he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kalah, and Rezin. Those were places that he built. He built all those cities and united them. He was the one, according to Josephus. Matter of fact, let me just read Josephus to you. I, I think this was an, an interesting article, so I want you to hear what he said. 
Now it was Nimrod who excited them to such an affront and contempt of God. He was the grandson of Ham, the son of Noah, a bold man, a great strength of hand. He persuaded them not to ascribe it to God as if it were through his means they were happy, but to believe that it was their own courage which procured that happiness. You begin to see what he's saying? He wants to create a nation of people who believe their happiness, their security, everything they got doesn't come from anything named God. It comes from themselves. You produce this yourself. You're not needing somebody else to produce it for you. You, you just simply look at the founding documents and you, you follow the founding documents. Here's what he went on to say. He also gradually changed the government into tyranny, seeing no other way of turning men from the fear of God but to bring them into a constant dependence on His power. He also said he would be revenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again, for that he would build a tower too high for the waters to reach, and that he would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers." Now the multitude were very ready to follow the determination of Nimrod and to esteem it a piece of cowardice to submit to God. And they built a tower, neither sparing any pains nor being in any degree negligent about the work. And by reason of multitude of hands employed in it, it grew very high, sooner than anyone could expect. But the thickness of it was so great and it was so strongly built that thereby its great height seemed upon the view to be less than it really was. So it was so fat, it didn't look like it was as tall as it was. But once you got up close to it, you realized, man, this thing is huge. It goes on. It was built of burnt bricks cemented together with mortar made of bitumen that it might not be liable to admit water. When God saw that they acted so madly, he did not resolve to destroy them utterly since they were not grown wiser by the destruction of the former sinners. In other words, that the, the flood didn't teach them anything, not much point in killing them. So they're not going to learn from it. But he had caused a tumult among them by producing in them diverse languages and causing that through the multitude of those languages they should not be able to understand one another. The place wherein they built the tower is now called Babylon because of the confusion of that language which they readily understood before. For the Hebrews mean by the word of Babel confusion. All right? That was what... Uh, uh, Josephus wrote about. Josephus was a historian... Uh, uh, just a little after the time of Jesus. He was writing history for the Roman people during that period of time there. All right. So Nimrod is a mighty hunter in the face of God. Now, what that means is this. You ever, had, you ever told somebody, get out of my face? You ever said, man, that guy was there shouting at me. He was in my face. That's what this term means. Nimrod was in the face of God. He was saying, I defy you. I defy you to bother me. I defy you to take this kingdom away. I defy you. That's why it says, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter. And that seems to be exactly what Sargon did. Uh, in reading the accounts of Sargon, which are written many years after that, Sargon is given a, a deified state. Sargon is thought to be a, a god, a demigod, someone that really did something. Legends get built around people. You follow where we're coming from? They may not be true, but they get built around people. And that's what was going on with this Nimrod. And Nimrod is the one who's creating Babylon. It is out of his lusts, out of his darkened imagination, that he's creating something that's this tower that will be defying God, that will be tall enough that God can't wipe him out again, and he will defy God in that way. That's Babylon. 
Babylon happens when people want to have their own security, their own happiness apart from God. That's what it'll always be, kids. That's where Babylon operates. That's why you can say Babylon seduced the kings of the world. It wasn't just little Nimrod. No, no, no. Babylon, once come into existence, knows I can seduce all the kings for everything. She has seduced every kingdom. May I say it's Babylon that brought the Aztec Empire to its close because they got so bloodlusty and so much uh, opposed to God, and that's what destroyed the Comanche nation. That's what destroyed the Inca nation. That's what destroyed the Mayans. Everybody follow where we're at? Because Babylon took those over and pushed them for bloodlust until human sacrifices is what they were after. Guys, can you see that just a few miles from here, just a mile and a half from here? The blood of children being shed? Who's doing that? It's Babylon. Don't you see it? It's Babylon that's pushing on, driving this, making it happen, making it happen more and more. Nimrod is Noah's great-grandson, the founder of many great cities that would become conquering kingdoms. That's what he was all about. That's what he did. Well, let's go to page two. Babylon would become his driving lust. She created in him a thirst for the blood of other humans, especially anyone believing in God. And that's the way Sargon was. He didn't mind shedding blood all over the place. And Sargon started... Uh, creating other gods that people could worship, started creating idols that people could take those children to and burn them, to kill them, however he wanted to do it. Babylon and the empire came to symbolize any country or people who sought to find their happiness and security apart from God. That's what Babylon is. And every time they do that, they're going to create a visible manifestation, and that's what's going to be destroyed. Nimrod, number four in your outline, developed the concept of stealing what others had produced and living off their labors. His offspring would do the same. That's been going on for centuries, for millennia. Let me go on then to number five in your outline. Because of his stature as a hunter, religions were built around his exploits and became the foundation for idolatry and lusty, bloody worship of the principalities as gods. Babylon. Babylon used Nimrod. Nimrod used Babylon. So let's get to the, the description of it. So turn back to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. And let's pick up on verse 15. Let's see. Uh, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Tells about how she was raised. Let's go to 1715. <clears throat> and it says in 1715, then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Those multitudes, nations, peoples, and tongues are all the people of the world that Babylon has been able to influence. Every time any king of any empire decided that he wanted to take what belonged to somebody else, Babylon was there. Every time any king wanted to pamper himself and have goods that came from somebody else, Babylon was there. 
And as soon as Babylon could be built up, she built an empire. She built the king, seducing or kingdom. She seduced those kings to do just exactly that. And you say, but what about the people uh, who are living by it? Let's go to letter B in your outline. Kings are seduced by her, and the people got drunk off the wine of her adultery. Kings got rich off of her, so kings took over great treasuries and became those. And the subjects enjoyed the spoils of war. Every time the king would conquer another place, the subjects got the opportunity, the subjects of the king, the citizens of that particular kingdom, got the opportunity to use other people. All those conquered people now became their slaves. They practiced human trafficking. That's what Babylon wanted done. And that's what they did. So the subjects enjoying the spoils of war is what it means that they got drunk by it. They were drunk by all the things that Babylon produced for them. Let her see in your outline. She has a useful relationship to the beast, the seed of Satan. It's not a loving relationship. They are not in love. There is no emotional feeling about this. That beast is scarlet with seven heads and ten horns. That beast uses uh, the, the um, uses Babylon, and Babylon uses him. They are in a useful relationship to each other. If I can say, it was um, the, the kind of useful I'm speaking about. It's exactly what Lenin had to say about uh, liberal people living in the West. He, he called them useful idiots. Why do you call them useful idiots? Because they actually believed communism was a real thing. It was really going to be a good thing for people. And everybody that was the leader of communism had to laugh about that because the only ones that prosper under communism, the only ones that prosper under socialism are the elite. Everybody else are slaves. Everybody else are turned into uh, just so much chattel. So they called the people, Lenin called the people in the West, the intellectuals who kept talking about how wonderful communism is, what a great system it really was. They just called them useful idiots. That's the useful that is met by here that the beast calls her a useful relationship. Let me go on further. She is dressed in the wealthiest of finery, gold and jewelry, to attract even more kings. When they see how wealthy a kingdom could become, do you remember what happened in um, Jerusalem? The, there was an entourage came from Babylon. And when the entourage came from Babylon, they flattered the king that was living in Jerusalem. And flattering the king, they told the king what a great king he was, what a beautiful empire he had. So the king said, let me show you something. And he took and showed them all the treasures that were in the temple. He showed them all the riches, all the gold, all the good stuff that was in there. What did it do? If I can say, what he showed them was the way Babylon was reclining, wearing gold jewelry, wearing silver jewelry, having silver in her hair. That's what he got to see. So the people went back to Babylon and said, she's ripe. That's, that's good pickings right there, man. We need to go over there. And they lusted after the gold and silver and treasures that were in the temple of Babylon. And the next thing you know, they are there. Or that was in the temple of Jerusalem. And they were there taking all that stuff. Now, if you remember, they mistreated the stuff that came from the temple, and they lost the empire then to the next guy that was going to take it, Persia. Cyrus took it over then with the same Babylon operating. Let me go further. 
She holds a golden cup of her abominations of filthiness, and she's proud of them. Listen to how it says it here. In Revelation 17, verse 4, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Do you see that she's bragging about the murders that she's had committed? Do you see how she's bragging about how she talked all these kings into conquering nations and conquering peoples and killing them off and selling people? Do you see how the abominations of the blood that's flowing of that cup is? She's proud of that, kids. She's proud of it. And there'll be stories told in the, the halls of uh, government about how we took them and how we gave these great histories and stories and how we won these great battles and how they beheaded this one and they beheaded that one. She's proud of those abominations, kids. That's why we're not going to understand it. When here we are born again and we think we understand what righteousness means and here we hear the conversations that are going on among those who are now influenced by Babylon, we're saying, how could anybody even think that way? How could anybody think about those kind of abominations? How could you think that's funny? How could you think that's entertaining? We're not going to understand it unless, and let me, let me just state this. Let me go ahead and finish this one. She's drunk with blood, lust, and blood. She thrives on that. She thrives on every abortion center. She thrives on it. She thrives on every opportunity when there could be wars and battles and atrocities comp uh, competed. She thrives on watching things like the Holocaust take place. She lives on that, kids. And she holds up her cup in celebration of it. She's named Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, of the abominations of the earth. You say, why, why is she called Mystery? Even though she's seen in the Old Testament, you don't know her as that till the New Testament. It's the New Testament that unfolds for us what she is. Right? She was known in the Old Testament, but not the way she's known here in the New Testament. Her last visible appearance will be as the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. And those last kings in alliance with the beast will hate her and destroy her. You know, I, was, I always thought that God destroyed Babylon. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He's put it within the hearts of the ten last kings to hate her. And they're the ones who destroy her. They take her apart because they hate everything she is. Kids, let me tell you, there are times that if you are into an addictive sin at all, you're going to realize how much you hate that thing. You'll do it again, but oh, you hate it. Because you know what it makes you feel like. You know what it's all about. That's the way they feel about Babylon. Yes, yes, they built her up. Yes, she's got all these things. But she's wicked. And they know it. They know they'll never have a permanent relationship with her. She's not the covenant woman. Now, kids, there's going to be an opportunity in, in Revelation chapter 18 when it's going to say that God hates Babylon. He's going to say, come out from among her, my people. You can't come out from among something that you're not a part of. Here's what I've seen over the uh, study of uh, human history. After four, the fourth century, when the church became part of the state, 
Matter of fact, when the church and the state were wed and united together, it became difficult to tell the two apart. Where did the church begin and the state end? Where did the state begin and the church end? Because the head of the, the state was the head of the church. And the church began to confuse its mission with conquest by Rome. So often you had the church moving in as a missionary movement. At the same time, the army was moving as a conquering movement. And the slaughter that took place and the businesses that were set up afterward were often approved by the church. I've got a lot more to say about that at another, another opportunity. But kids, this is a bad thing. It is a bad thing when the church keeps identifying itself with the state. You can't do that. That's where Babylon gets all excited and all happy, and the church begins to take on the behavior of Babylon. We can't do that. Babylon is a prostitute. Babylon cannot be loyal. Babylon lives for Babylon and uses you, and she'll kill you. Gang, there's never been a time that we needed more to commit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and stop watching this world. Now, get this. God has taken steps back, and we are at the last stage. Listen, homosexuality is the last stage before you go into complete depravity. We've already accepted homosexuality as an all right thing. Where do you think we are? We are in that state of depravity, and Babylon is alive and well. You should expect blood to be let anytime soon. She's always been bloody. She'll always be bloody. She drinks blood. She loves blood, and that's what's going to come up. Never has there been a time we needed to be more committed to the Lord Jesus Christ than now. Give yourselves over wholeheartedly to the Lord Jesus Christ. Walk in the Spirit. Marry up with wisdom. Listen to her. Get into the Scriptures. Read the Scriptures. Know what they say. Abide in Christ. Let His words abide in you. Now, brothers and sisters, not later. I don't know how much later we've got. If you're not a part of the body of Christ, if you're not putting your trust in Jesus Christ, do it now. Don't leave here without knowing I trust Jesus Christ because the only choice you've got is Jesus Christ or the beast. You don't have another choice. There's not a neutral kingdom going to be any place. It's either going to be Christ's kingdom or the beast's kingdom. The beast's kingdom is going to die. Don't be condemned. Please come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you so much for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for the way in which you've loved us and cared for us. Thank you for the provision that you've made for us to escape the clutches of that evil prostitute. Oh, Father, in Jesus' name, please set us free from our desires and longings for her. Help our eyes be cleared from the beauty of what she proposes because her beauty is death. Her beauty is ugliness. Thank you for what you're doing in us, Father. Please don't let anyone leave this place without knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we've got a great God. We have a great calling. You are fully equipped. You have everything that you need for life and godliness. You have spiritual gifts. You have the fruit of the Spirit. You have everlasting life. You're a well-equipped people. We've got to get our eyes where they belong 
And that, that we find by staying in the Word of God, staying in prayer, and being about the business of the kingdom. We've got a lot of things to do. There's still things to be done, and there's still a lot of great things that God is waiting for us to complete. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that we do have a great future. Thank you that we do have a good hope. Thank you, Father, that regardless of the things that are going to happen, the things that are going to take away those temporal joys that we have, I want to thank you, Father, that you've already called us to greater joy and happiness than all of that combined. Thank you for the great hope that's before us. But I want to thank you that we can live that hope right now. Thank you that you gave us the Holy Spirit, and we choose to live that joy right now. Thank you for letting us work with you and be co-laborers with your Holy Spirit. Please dismiss us with your grace just now. Let us walk in the Spirit, walk with wisdom, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.